BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Look, I've been fortunate enough to work for three mayors for the last 30 years, and I worked a little bit for two other mayors, Byrne and Washington. I'm lucky to have worked for all of them. They're wonderful people, and I've been privileged to do it. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is the city of Chicago's longtime labor negotiator, Jim Franzik. Jim, thanks for joining us. I'm happy and honored to be here, friend. I have been asking you to do this show for literally years. I lost count of how many times I have asked you, knowing how interesting a guy you are and how long you've been around and how many stories you have to tell about labor relations in Chicago. Why did you say no a thousand times and why are you saying yes this time? Are you retiring? Do you have less at stake politically? What's going on? Or is it just my winning yes, personality? <laughs> uh, mostly your winning personality and your absolutely ferocious ability to continually nag me about this. But one of your colleagues a few years ago did a wonderful piece, Dan Minneapolis in the Sun-Times. And the headline of the piece was, Franzek leaves no footprints in the sand. And it's always been my view uh, up until literally today that my role is behind the scenes. So as much as I admire and respect you, I've always taken the view that I should take a low profile on this thing and leave my footprints in the sand. But we're in a very exciting, very important, very significant mayoral race. So I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. So are you taking sides? Oh, oh I, um, and at my age and my experience, this is different, but I've worked literally decades with Paul Vallis. I have an enormous respect for Paul. I think he would be a wonderful mayor for the city of Chicago. Brandon Johnson is obviously a formidable candidate. He has considerable support. But when it comes for um, knowing city government and all the various kinds of things that need to be done to operate it, um, you know, Paul, Paul Vallis to me is, is the clear choice. Have you sat across the table from Paul? I believe you did during the time that he was the unpaid negotiator for the Fraternal Order of Police, at the very least, helping to break the longest labor stalemate in Chicago history. 
Yeah, no, that that's true. That was a, a somewhat ironic experience because for decades I've been on the same side of the table as Paul Vallis going back to the 90s when we negotiated the school contracts. But this time around, he was representing the FOP and obviously I was representing the city of Chicago. And, you know, I don't think, at least from what I've seen, it's gotten uh, sufficient attention as to how significant uh, that agreement that we reached back in October of 2021 was. Not just the money part of it, which I think was fiscally responsible and a couple of things that incentivized officers, but also the accountability and the reform uh, pieces of that. And if you want to get into that, I'd be more than happy to do it. But those were pretty significant. And uh, frankly, nobody but Paul Vallis could have done that. What role did he play? Because he's being portrayed now as the candidate of the FOP, taking his marching orders from John Catanzara, who's, of course, the FOP president and a very controversial figure, said many controversial things and had just gotten reelected. Yeah, no, John is certainly a um, controversial personality. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. But I think it's a complete mischaracterization to say that Paul Vallis, who is not exactly a wallflower himself, was taking directions from um, John Cotanzara. As as you know, Paul has, has sons and a wife who are police officers as well as firefighters. So he was taken on as an unpaid advisor. And Paul, much to his credit, was able to persuade John, and it's not just John, it's also his team over there to enter into uh, an agreement on the money side of it and even more significantly on the accountability side. So I think it was Paul's considerable powers of persuasion and the ability to be able to bring people together that resulted in that agreement. Uh, it would be absolutely a mischaracterization to say that Paul was taking orders from John Cotanzara. And you don't think he will do that if he is elected mayor, that he's somehow compromised yeah. by the endorsement of the FOP? Uh, oh, absolutely not. I mean, if, if you know Paul, and I like to think that I've known him for the last 30 years, Paul is a pretty independent guy, and, you know, he's not about to take orders from John Cutzar, or for that matter, anybody else. But what he is going to be able to do is to work, I think, effectively with a wide range of people, appreciate their interests, and, and try to come up with, um, with solutions and reconciliations on those interests. That is what Paul is going to do. You know, and are you saying that the accountability stuff wouldn't be in there if not for Paul? Actually, that's exactly what I'm saying, is, is the accountability stuff would not be in there but for Paul. That's exactly right. And then the thing is, and this deserves to be underscored, and you know this, Frank, because you've been working on this for literally decades, is for the police and for the firefighters, the resolution of a collective bargaining agreement, if you're unable to reach an agreement, goes to an interest arbitrator. And an interest arbitrator, rarely from the city of Chicago, actually makes decisions on these important issues. And the likelihood of an interest arbitrator deciding for the FOP, 
on these accountability issues was remote. So Paul's ability to be able to get the FOP to agree to these accountabilities issues was was no small accomplishment. And some of these accountability issues are pretty darn significant. The affidavit requirement. Well, let me give you a few examples. You know, we used to require literally since 1981 that you had to sign an affidavit to make a complaint against a police officer. The affidavit complaint is not there anymore. We used to have a prohibition that you couldn't make an anonymous complaint against a police officer. That was taken out. We used to have a prohibition that you could not reward a police officer for coming forward with information about the misconduct of another police officer. That was taken out there. You permit uh, complaints either anonymously or if you don't want your name disclosed to be made against a police officer. We took out the uh, record uh, requirement that, that now you can keep disciplinary records literally for the life of a uh, Chicago police officer. In addition to all of those, and what I just rattled off, those are pretty significant. In addition, we streamlined um, quite a few provisions in the collective bargaining agreement, not the least of which was the process of um, interrogation and the process of when and how and under what circumstances officers can review transcripts, videos, et cetera, in terms of making their statements. All of these things were consistent to what aldermen were suggesting to us during negotiations and as part of the consent decree. So they're, they're in the world of labor relations, in the world of police accountability, these were pretty big deals. And you're saying an arbitrator would not have gone along with that? I'm, I mean, you never know till you know. But, you know, I think the likelihood of the arbitrator uh, buying the entire menu of things that we ended up agreeing with with the FOP was remote. And, you know, rolling the dice going to arbitration as opposed to getting an agreement that's voluntary between the two parties, obviously the latter is much more important than the former. You don't want to force things down people's throats if you can avoid it. Now, are you concerned about Brandon Johnson as a paid organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union whose campaign is banked by millions from the CTU and the and AFSCME and SEIU? These are unions with which the city of Chicago negotiates. Do you think he will owe them and deliver for them in a way that's going to hurt Chicago taxpayers or the city generally. Brandon Johnson is obviously a very, uh, uh, very significant person and a person of enormous talents. But, you know, last time I looked, he got $5 million from the Chicago Teachers Union. He's getting millions of dollars from SEIU. It's, inconceivable given human nature that he's not going to feel beholden and an obligation to the Chicago Teachers Union and SEIU. But let me let me add something because, um, you know, he said, well, I'm going to resign from the Chicago Teachers Union. That's fine. But he's worked his professional career for Chicago Teachers Union, and I can't believe that he's still not going to bleed CTU. 
And I've also listened to your earlier podcast of um, of supporters of Brandon. Stacey Davis Bates. Yeah. Uh, well, that might be one. Yeah, that might be one that I listened to. Where she said she may, he's going to be standing or he's going to be sitting across the table from an elected board. But that isn't entirely true at all, because next year the contract is up for teachers and right, the board will right. not be seated. It is a gradual thing. It won't be fully right. seated until like 20, 2026 or seven, I guess. You know, right. No, so, you, so you what, took, what, what could you, happen? You, what are you, you worried took, about? You took the words out of my mouth and, you know, the next mayor has going to have a considerable number of challenges. Obviously, public safety is way up on the top of the list, but a close, close, close second is going to be the Chicago public schools. And here's the way I think this is going to work. If history is any guide, the Chicago Teachers Union is going to start negotiations at the end of this year, or early next year, in anticipation of the contract expiring June 30th, 2024. There's going to be no elected school board at the end of this year or early next year. It's still going to be mayor controlled. The 21 person school board, 11 appointed by the mayor and 10 elected, doesn't take place until November of 2024. So, you know, having done this eight times now with the Chicago Teachers Union over the course of literally decades, it's inconceivable to me that the union's not going to uh, be very forceful and trying to get a contract, a new contract, well before November of 2024. And that's all going to be under the control of the mayor, not an elected school board. Elected school board doesn't come in fully until 2027 and that's going to be the contract after this contract right so, so what are you worried about you sat across the table from stacy davis gates you know who she is and you know how tough she can be what are you afraid of what should we be afraid of oh i'm i'm not afraid of of i've long ago gotten past the point of being afraid but, you know, in the calculus of things, to have a mayor uh, that has the kind of support from the Chicago Teachers Union being responsible for the negotiations with the Chicago Teachers Union, I mean, that's a pretty serious question that people need to think about. That's the only point I'm making. And Stacy and others have said, well, he's going to be the mayor. The Chicago Public Schools is going to be sitting across the table from um, an elected school board. And that simply is not true. It's still going to be a mayor-controlled school board. So, you know, if the mayor is somebody who has been working for CTU, that's an important fact that people need to consider. And let's talk about the circumstances. The federal stimulus money, which has been propping up right. both the, CT, uh, the uh, Chicago Public Schools and the CTA, is going to be drying up. There is a pension spike for the teacher's pension fund. Uh, the moratorium on school closings will be expiring. And so all of this converges at the same time as the contract expiring. And there's really going to be a, uh, a reckoning here financially, right? What's going to have oh, to happen? You, you, you have the convergence of a lot of factors coming into play over here. There's absolutely no question about that. 
And you rattled off some of the major ones, but you can also add to that list that uh, we now have unionization of the Chicago school principals and assistant principals, which is no minor thing, as well as the elected school board, as well as the pensions, et cetera. So you have the convergence of a whole number of things that are extremely important, but just sometimes we forget history. But remember, Paul Vallis was appointed by Mayor Daley back in 95. And at that point in time, the General Assembly, as you well remember, had passed the law that consolidated the various levies, it passed the law that prohibited the union from striking for 18 months, had passed the law that put restraints on the Chicago Teachers Union in terms of bargaining, had made all sorts of changes, not the least of which was mayoral control of the Chicago public schools. And Paul and Gary Chico navigated themselves through that. And we ended up negotiating four-year collective bargaining agreements with Paul, uh, not once, but twice. And that's no minor accomplishment. So if you look back and you say, you know, somebody have experience and navigate through these tumultuous waters. I mean, obviously, Paul's been through that before. And his record at the Chicago Public Schools, he's being painted at this point like the Darth Vader of public education, not only in Chicago, but also at the school systems that he ran after he left Chicago, Philadelphia, Bridgeport, Connecticut, New Orleans. What do you remember about your negotiations and your dealings with Paul Vallis when he was CPS CEO under Mayor Daley. Paul Vallis, and I think he's been unfairly characterized, you know, he makes things work. He's a deal maker. He takes interest and he makes them go forward. In 95, and if you go back and look at your archives, Fran, in 95, uh, Paul negotiated a four-year collective bargaining agreement with the Chicago Teachers Union. Prior to that, from 1968 till 1995, there were 11 strikes. There were 20 collective bargaining agreements that were one year or two years. And the Chicago Public Schools was literally in a state of uh, uncertainty and certainly fragility. Um, Paul came in and for eight years with two four-year collective bargaining agreements, provided stability to the system, flexibility to the system, and predictability to the system. And it wasn't as if the Chicago teachers unions were a bunch of pansies back then. Tom Reese and his group were very strong and very <clears throat> tough advocates. So reaching those agreements was not easy. And I think Paul was definitely the stick that stirred the drink. And that was ultimately good for the system and ultimately good for the city. And he's being portrayed as an anti-voucher, I mean, a pro-voucher Republican now, who's a threat to public education, who's a who's going to uh, deprive the schools of, of funding by creating a voucher system. Uh, what do you say to that? He, he also wants to take the shuttered buildings. He wants to, he'll close schools if he has to, even though it's a tough discussion with the community. And also he, he will take some of the schools that are still empty from being closed by Rahm Emanuel, the 50, and uh, turn them over maybe to charters or, or do something with those buildings. What do you say to that? 
You know, I don't pretend to be the educational expert on charters or <clears throat> vouchers. That's obviously a uh, issue of substance that people need to talk their way through. But suffice it to say, Paul's not the only advocate of that, and it cuts across uh, racial, ethnic, generational lines as well. So we just have to work our way through <clears throat> the charter voucher thing. But, you know, again, we went through that back in 95 to 2003 with um, charter schools, with contract schools, with other kinds of ways in which to come up with innovative programs. And at the end of the day, it's what's best for the parents, what's best for the kids. And if charters and vouchers is part of that menu and it works, and you're not depriving public school kids otherwise of funding and those do not necessarily go together, then yeah, it's something worth looking at hard. And Paul will do that. And isn't this a system that needs to close schools? You've got some schools that are operating mostly empty, mostly empty, can provide a really good quality education for those kids in a school that has a few dozen kids. It's been hemorrhaging. The system has been hemorrhaging students. What needs to happen now in terms of that? Well, again, I'm not running for mayor of the city of Chicago or president of the Chicago School Board. But, uh, you know, pull back uh, a moment and what I think Paul successfully did and what his track record shows is the ability to be able to navigate through those kinds of things with some degree of success. A lot of this, Fran, and you know this, you've been covering it, is how do you make government work, especially city government work, effectively for the citizens and everyone else. And that's not easy unless you know the mechanics of city government. And that's what Paul knows better than hardly anybody else. The Chicago Firefighters Union Local 2 has also endorsed Vallis. Mayors Rahm Emanuel and Lori Lightfoot both talked, talked about eliminating costly perks and provisions in the firefighters' contracts that have saddled Chicago taxpayers with millions of dollars in expenses for decades. Neither Emanuel nor Lightfoot ever followed through. They have not eliminated the minimum staffing requirement uh, that requires five employees on every piece of fire apparatus. That's the issue that caused the strike in uh, in uh, 1980. Uh, 19, uh, 1980. Yes, 80. excuse me. <laughs> I had a senior <laughs> moment there. Uh, doesn't the next mayor of Chicago need to confront this issue once and for all, and it's standing in the way of a long-term contract with the Firefighters Union. Uh, you know, I'm going to distance our, our I, I have to reserve my judgment on that. We're in the process of negotiating a labor agreement with Local 2, so I'm not about to get into issues that have or might be part of it. I haven't sat down with Paul, and I don't even know if I'm going to be around if Paul's going to be elected mayor or Brandon's going to be elected mayor. <clears throat> and we're going to have to sit down and go through that. But, you know, a couple of observations, and this goes back. Ultimately, if there's disagreement between Local 2 and the city, it goes to interest arbitration. All right. And yeah. those issues, as much as we may think they're self-evident in terms of need remedy, 
they're not nearly as self-evident when you actually go to interest arbitration. That's number one. Number two is I would take some exception with your characterization that under Daly and Emanuel and even Lightfoot, we've done absolutely nothing about it. You know, yes, you can make a sensible argument that that contract is filled with all sorts of perks that have cost tons and tons of money. But over the years, we have also sort of whittled away at a good number of those perks. Uh, not nearly as much as we probably should have, but it's not fair to say we haven't done anything. We haven't enhanced it. We have whittled away at it. Number three is you take a look at the Sun-Times, the Tribune, or any other poll, and who are the most popular, respected public employees out there? Firefighters. They continually get there. So, you know, there is political citizen support forms. So, well, no one's saying there isn't, but it doesn't need to. Does the city need to reconcile what it can afford, what the fire department spends most of its time doing by maybe closing some firehouses or adding ambulances or doing something or taking taking the minimum manning requirement out of that contract and the different uh, allowances and compensations that they have that really feather bed the whole thing? And pay well, their paychecks. You got, a, you, got, you got a couple of things in there. You know, first of all, the minimum manning, there's there's a decent number of people as well as experts that disagree that we're overmanned. New York has more than we have, at least in some circumstances. Chicago has had this for years. The key issue over here isn't fire suppression with man, manning on an engine or a truck. It's really EMS. EMS. Yeah, and, right. Two-thirds of their calls. Is, is taken on an enormously huge responsibility. And I forget the numbers, but the portion of calls... It's two-thirds, I think. Yeah, I was, I was going to say it's, it's, it's two-thirds, and I think that's accurate. Our EMS calls. So the focus, frankly, of bargaining, yeah, all the things that you're mentioning have and will be issues. But the big issue out there is not if you have five or four people on an engine or a truck and where in the city of Chicago you have five or four people and you're not going to get below four people. But it's going to be the whole issue of uh, EMS and, uh, uh, and emergency fire services. Houses. Should fire we have houses, fewer firehouses and, and more ambulance companies? And, you know, should we yeah, have that? That's, that's beyond my grade level. Um that's, you know, that's for a mayor to decide and a fire commissioner to decide. Once they decide, I'll do my best to implement it. The CTA is another agency that's headed for a fall. It only has half the riders it had pre-pandemic. Security and reliability issues are keeping riders away as much as working from home is. What needs to happen there? Yeah, I mean, Brandon and, Johnson and, wants to make the CTA free for se seniors and students and people with disabilities and even a break for the working poor. Yeah, and this all ties in ultimately, including CTA. And I do not, by the way, represent CTA, so I'm a little bit reluctant to, to comment on that. But it does tie into the whole public safety issue. You know, a lot of people aren't writing CTA because of safety issues. That's it. So, yeah, there's a lot of work over there, but, you know, that's a very complex question. 
but it does go back to public safety. If we make people safe, you're probably going to increase ridership on the CTA. But go back to, you know, what we're doing with the FOP and what we're doing with the public schools. Those are my two right. areas of some degree of knowledge, okay? Um, You've been the city's chief labor negotiator for decades. What was the most difficult contract you've had to negotiate and why? You know what the most difficult was, was the first one in 87 under Harold Washington. He had a 15-person school board. It was very diverse. Jackie Vaughn was president of Chicago Teachers Union. You were unable to come up with direction and everything else because the mayor did not have control over it. The most exciting contracts and the ones that I'm most proud of having participated in are the FOP contract with Paul Vallis a year and a half ago and what we did in 95, 99, and 2003 on into the Arnie Duncan years. Those were fun. The 2019 contract. Because we successfully negotiated long-term contracts that brought stability to the Chicago public school system. And at that point in time, we we actually had, I forget the exact number, but 100,000 or more kids in the system than we currently got. You did not have this fear and anxiety of parents leaving the school system because of work stoppages. Things were relatively calm back in those years. And that was not easy. People look back and say, well, you know, geez, they got a four-year contract. They did it twice. They did it three times. Those things do not happen by accident. They're very, very difficult. The 2019 strike was extremely hard um, for a lot of reasons, politically, issue-wise, everything else. Uh, so, you know, 2019 thing and the whole tension between Lightfoot and Stacey Davis Gates, was that personal? Was it a personality conflict? Was it about, as Lightfoot claims, the union wanting to get her out immediately and, and running a four year campaign and plotting to get her out with one of their own, as it turned out, in trying with Brandon Johnson? What 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 was it that caused such tension? To the point where we had the the long strike, the 11 days in 2019, and this, the pandemic shutdown of 15 months. Um, yeah, and and look, what was it? That's, that's, that's probably a whole chapter for a book somewhere. Okay, well, <laughs> well sum it up for I've me. Been, give me a give me I've a been, give me a a, fi- a quick fill on what you think was at work there. I you know look. There were some tough issues, and you go back to this. The Chicago Teachers Union has evolved and changed a lot over the years. 2019 was a contract that involved not just your meat and potatoes issues, money, benefits, et cetera, but also issues that were much more important, you know, hiring social workers, hiring nurses, hiring. uh, We negotiated homeless, okay? So you had the convergence of a union that felt very, very strongly about certain issues versus accommodating that with a process that heretofore had not accommodated those kinds of issues. You also had some very strong leadership. Stacey Davis Gates is a formidable person. She's extremely bright. She's extremely committed. And so is Mayor Lightfoot. So you sort of had those kinds of things coming together. Now we need to move forward 
with the next collective bargaining agreement. <clears throat> it's going to be a new mayor, one way or the other. That's going to start the end of this year or early next year at the latest. And, you know, you've heard Stacy in the podcast she did with you last week. Those are going to be some difficult issues. She talked about homelessness, homelessness, housing, things that we traditionally have not negotiated about. So those are going to be on the table of either Paul Vallis or Brandon Johnson. And those are what, not going to be Was there a personality conflict between Lori Lightfoot and Stacy? Was it two, two, I, two strong women at loggerheads with each other? I, I'm. I'm not going to get into that, but I will make one observation. You don't want to call it a cat fight. I, there is no way I'm going to call it a cat fight. Okay. But what, what I will observe probably with some risk to myself is remember, you also had Janice Daxon and Latanya McDade and Paul Vallis and Arnie Duncan, notwithstanding Janice and Latanya were two of the best leaders of the Chicago public school system I've worked with. They were just terrific. And for years, under Stacy, under Jesse, under Tom Reese, under Debbie Lynch, everybody else. Karen CTU, Lewis. Karen Lewis. The CTU had, had complained that the leadership of the Chicago public schools was not parents, were not people that came up through the system. And the fact of the matter is, is that with Janice and Latanya, those were two leaders who did come up through the system, had kids in the system. And it's just, it's sort of sad it didn't work out better than it did. That's, that's all I'm going to say about that. Why didn't it? I wish I knew. I really well, do. You're saying why Janice isn't still there is what you're saying. No, I think Janice... I, I have great admiration for Janice, and it's not just Janice, but it was Latanya McDade, her number two. For all practical purposes, they were co-CEOs, and they well, were. What's sad? Just, what's sad about what didn't work out? What what that, part is that, sad? That you, that, that you had two incredibly wonderful people, experienced people, that came up through the Chicago public school system, had kids in the Chicago public school system something that the Chicago Teachers Union had for literally decades said they wanted and that was unable to be able to work more effectively. Oh, now, I why see. that was the case, I, you know, that's for another conversation beyond me, but just okay. making the observation. Before okay. we let you go, who was, who was the easiest mayor to deal with and who was the most difficult? Oh, my Lord in heaven. That that is an impossible question to answer. Oh come on, you know, I, come on! I, I, I waited all this time to get you on the show. Come on, get on, get on record none, as telling none, me who is the none, most easy and who is the most difficult. None of none, you could not characterize Daly, or Emanuel, or Lightfoot as easy. If you went and said who is the most difficult and the hardest to work for you still got the same problem. They all have their challenges. Look, I've been fortunate enough to work for three mayors for the last 30 years, and I worked a little bit for two other mayors, Byrne and Washington. So I've been fortunate. And you've tried to get me to compare mayors before, but I am just going to respectfully refrain from doing that. I'm lucky to have worked for all of them. They're wonderful people, and I've been privileged to do it. 
the most difficult period in labor in Chicago had to be that that burn era where there was a CTA strike, a teacher's strike, and the terribly oh, yeah. bitter yeah. firefighter strike. Twenty three days. You go, you go back, and I still have it in my archives. You go back to those Sun Times articles about the firefighter strike, the CTA strike. No, that was by far the worst period in the history of the city of Chicago. And you talk about firehouses, you talk about minimum manning, you talk about all those issues, that was all the 1980 strike, okay? Right, that was the the most, so what do you remember about that awful period? Well, the good news was, is I wasn't representing the city in labor relations, which I wanna make clear. Okay. The bad news is, is that thanks to the Sun-Times and your predecessor, Rosalind Rossi, I did get my commentary in during that period of time. But, you know, the lesson to be learned over here, and you know this, is that when you make decisions at the moment, what you think are advisable, you know, they solve the strike, da-da-da-da-da, they have enormous long-term repercussions. And that was certainly the case with the fire department and not only the manning and the stations, but keep in mind that over in the fire contract, we have everybody from the firefighter up through battalion chiefs are all covered by the same collective bargaining agreement. And And we're still saddled with those problems. And you're still saddled with those problems. And one of of the things that I'm, I'm moderately proud of is that over on the police side, we separated the supervisors from the rank and file. Um, And I think in retrospect, that was a smart thing to do. Jim Frantic, I waited a long time to get you on. I appreciate you, uh, your candor, and you dodged a few, but that's okay too. And uh, best (laughs) of luck to you if you uh, stay on or if you don't stay on and you ride off into the sunset. You've done a lot of work on labor issues in this town. I appreciate you and I... uh, We'll see what happens on April 4th. You're one of my icons, friend. Thank you very much. Have a great St. Patrick's Day. Take care. You too. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs>